Welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast. Uh, this is episode two. It was a super fun episode to do uh, with Rhett. Just kind of got to break down Charlotte, Portland, and of course his Pacers from a dynasty perspective. Talk about what the heck some of these teams are doing. Um, and then talk about some of the fun players on the team, what their dynasty outlook looks like, who should you trade for, different things like that. Super fun topic to kind of break down some prospects. Uh, I know after we recorded this, like the next day, Rhett messaged me and reminded me or said that he forgot to mention that Benedict Natherin is Jalen Brown. And if you look at their advanced stats, that kind of is the story that's told. So he didn't mention that here, but don't worry, it still is true. So make sure to keep that in mind with your evaluations of Benedict Matherin, who's coming off an excellent rookie season. Uh, before we get into the episode, uh, I just want to remind you, check out my Substack, uh, and check out some articles on there. I've just been breaking down uh, different players for Dynasty and teams and also giving you a brief recap of the previous night's games from my perspective, uh, a lot of Hawks rants about how frustrating they are. Uh, or how frustrating it is as a fan. So if you don't have an interest in that, you can skip it. If you want to see me rant, feel free. I will make sure to do it. Um, then also, you know, like and subscribe this podcast. Uh, make sure you're up to date. This is only the second episode, so it's not that hard to do. Uh, but episodes come in every Friday. At least that's the plan for right now. Uh, maybe some more as we get closer to the draft. But lots of fun guests coming up. Got some Fun episodes planned, some fun episodes done, uh, but without further ado, here is episode two. All right, welcome to episode two of the Tank Me Later podcast. My name is Noah Rubin. And today I'm joined by a dynasty legend, one of the biggest names in the dynasty basketball space, sports ethos zone, Rhett Bauer, host of the Punt Intended podcast. Rhett, how are you doing this? I think it's still evening for you as well. So how are you doing this? It is, yes. It is evening and I'm doing well. I'm a little bit blushing over here with that introduction, but I appreciate (laughs) it and I'm, I'm excited to dive into some dynasty stuff as always. Yeah, man, absolutely. I wanted to make sure, you know, I was kind of dividing up, going by teams based on lottery odds, trying to go in order a little bit. I wanted you on the Pacers episode. I I needed you on the Pacers episode with how in-depth I've seen you both on Twitter and on your podcast go. I'm excited to get all the details to – I'll probably learn quite a bit just from this episode, so I'm excited about that. Um, But to start off, let's talk about – how you got into fantasy, I guess, sports in general, kind of some content creation, dynasty, like tell me a little bit about your background with that. Yeah. So I started playing dynasty, I think like eight years ago now, I've uh, been playing fantasy football since I was like five. Uh, <laughs> and so I was very familiar with the idea of like fantasy sports. And then it was, I was at some sort of school for my military stuff and somebody asked me to join a fantasy basketball league. And I grew up, my dad was, uh, a, a huge proponent of give every NBA team a hundred points and let them play for two minutes. And so we did not watch a lot of NBA basketball growing up unless it was the playoffs. And so by the time, like when I started doing fantasy basketball, I think it was like an eight team Yahoo league for points. 
and I, I obviously I had no idea what I was doing. I took Jokic seventh without knowing who he was. It's not bad. And, that was a, and he was the best player in the league that year. So I was like, all right, that'll work. And then uh, I started, you know, we were talking about this before we got on and started negotiating with some people and ended up fleecing a bunch of guys. And was like, wait, this is, this is kind of fun taking a bunch of good players for Chris Dunn and uh, Torian Prince. Um, and so uh, being able to being able to do stuff like that. And then obviously once I got into fantasy basketball, I found Josh Lloyd's podcast and then started getting into all the resources that come along with that. I think I joined a dynasty league off of Twitter or, or some forum or something like that. Just a bunch of random dudes. And now seven years later, I'm still in the league with all those guys. And I know more about them than some family members. <laughs> That's I mean that's such an awesome start that you started off and the first thing you did was not only draft well but take advantage of I'm assuming your friends that you were playing with so that's a great uh, they way were to- they were associates more so so I did had okay. no guilt whatsoever it was <laughs> it was the same place same time not necessarily a longing relationship so no yeah. hard feelings still that's fair that's fair and seven years later still playing with the same people uh, you said Josh Lloyd's podcast joining dynasty leagues with random people. How did you get into, I guess, starting with either your podcast or with sports ethos, or if you, I don't know if you wrote anywhere else before that. Uh, so I wrote for eight points, nine seconds, the Pacers fan sided site for a little while. Um, when uh, my family and I, we moved from Indiana to Colorado in the summer of 2020, uh, I had a job that required me to go into the office, but into specific areas that I wasn't, I didn't have the permissions to go into yet. So mm-hmm. it was also in the middle of COVID. So I yeah. did a lot of remote work and remote work when you're supposed to be doing stuff in a specific place means no work. So I had a ton of time on my hands. And so I ended up uh, getting, like I said, I was already playing fantasy basketball. Cousin Travis, a co-host of pun intended was uh, we talked about it constantly. And so I started getting into some Pacers stuff and looking at it like, Hey, this is, it's pretty easy to just watch the games because I don't have work to do. And then um, obviously doing so much dynasty stuff on my own. Um, I, I think I, I don't remember how I got connected with Dan Bespris from sports ethos uh, hoop ball at the time. And I just reached out and was like, Hey, so I don't know if you guys have anything for dynasty, but the last piece that the Google result pops up was updated in 2017. So if you're looking for somebody to contribute to that, I would be more than happy to do so. And so I did, I started blurbing, got pretty, pretty involved there. And then, uh, had to, had to take a little bit of a step back because I was doing way too much, but now we're just, uh, rolling along with the podcast, the dynasty rankings, some articles here and there, and then, uh, actually bringing on a couple more people. So I'm excited to kind of edit slash manage that it sounds way more official than what i think it'll be but yeah yeah no that's awesome that you're able to get your start just by reaching out i think that's something that a lot of people could definitely kind of replicate in a way i'm not saying they'll be as good as the pun intended (laughs) that it's something that you can just you know you're putting yourself out there making your own content i think that's just an awesome kind of backstory um you said you didn't really grow up watching much basketball uh, but- I mean, I played basketball constantly. Okay. I played a ton. Like, uh, I think it was all throughout middle school, high school, after high school, in college, I was waking up at like four to play bef- mm. like for like three hours before any sort of classes or anything like that. I love that. Uh, I can't, I can't do that anymore, but um, <laughs> yeah, so basketball has always been in my life, but as far as watching it goes, like obviously March Madness was huge because that's just 
chaos. And uh, then NBA playoffs was also huge because that's like that was I was like that's when the that's when they're trying like that's the good basketball because people are actually playing defense. And so uh, yeah, didn't wasn't like a diehard invested in the NBA growing up, but then it was pretty easy to transition into really really tracking things once I got once I got rolling. Yeah, so I grew up about an hour outside of Atlanta. So as a Hawks fan, I can remember my first Hawks game was actually against the Pacers. Uh, They're hosting them. So it was, I want to say Danny Granger was on the team. Uh, uh-huh. Mike, I want to say Mike Dunleavy. I can't remember anybody else because it was the the Joe Johnson, Josh Smith, Al Horford Hawks. Well, oh, yeah, I blocked curious. that out. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what's your, I guess, kind of earliest memory as a Pacers fan? I'm just kind of curious. Um. Yeah, I I think my earliest memory was the 2000 finals. I don't know if okay. it was ni- 99 or 2000 or 2001, but um whenever the Pacers made the finals, obviously like I said we watched playoff basketball and hey, all of a sudden there was a lot of playoff basketball for the Pacers. Uh so watched that. I remember my dad showing me a lot of the like when it would be the anniversary of the 8.9 seconds for Reggie Miller that mm-hmm. would pop up on sports center. Uh, if we missed it, the first go around, we'd have to watch sports center later that night <laughs> to be like, Hey, here's this because stuff like YouTube and Twitter wasn't nearly right. as popular and definitely wasn't popular in my house. So, uh, <laughs> and then, and then there was stuff, there was always stuff like Tracy McGrady scoring his seven mm-hmm. points or whatever it was in his 11 seconds yeah. against the Spurs or whatever. So like the huge stuff like that was, was always pretty big, but uh, then I think like my act, like memory, memory, a thing that I could speak to would probably just be the series against the heat. Okay. Like yeah. in uh, 2013, 14, when, when Paul George was ascending like that. And I remember arguing is like, man, is, is he the third best wing in the league? And that wasn't crazy <laughs> at the time. No. Uh, it was just a bit optimistic. So yeah. Yeah. I, I get it as like a homer. You're always a little bit, a little bit more optimistic <laughs> about your players. And it's funny with the, uh, with the Reggie Miller. So I grew up a Hawks fan, but my dad was from New York, grew up a Knicks fan. So it was Ooh. kind of the opposite, uh, <laughs> opposite mindset on the eight points, nine seconds. I remember watching the the 30 for 30 on that. That was, uh, he didn't have as, as good of memories, I'm sure as, as you and your dad did, but yeah, you got to have yeah. the TV off those days. You're not having any, <laughs> any flashbacks. <laughs> Not at all. Um, so let's talk some, I guess, just some dynasty. You know, if, if you were going into a dynasty startup draft, what's kind of your strategy just in general? Are you looking, I know you always have to kind of consider ages. Are you going all in? Are you going super young? How, I guess, what, yeah, just what's kind of your general strategy? Yeah, so I think it really depends on league size. Um, I started in a 12-team and then started the pun intended 30 team. Cause I was like, all right, you y'all keep talking about these 30 team leagues and there's just <laughs> dudes all over the 12 team. You just, everybody's trying to consolidate. Nobody can pull it off. So right. um, my philosophy kind of, like I said, it depends on the size of the league and 30 teams. I'm, I'm finding that you have to be well-balanced like percentages wise. I think punting mm-hmm. one percentage in a 30 team can be very, very dangerous because more often than not, like if you punt field goal percentage, you're relying on volume stats. So like you're going to be relying on threes, points, assists, steals. Obviously you're probably throwing turnovers then too, and probably not getting very many rebounds and blocks. So then like if you have one stud go out, 
you're not going to be able to compete with the mm-hmm. best teams in the league at volume, and you've already handed them at least two categories. So in deep leagues, it's kind of it kind of pays off to be well-rounded. Even if you won't be able to beat every team head-to-head every time, you set yourself up for to be able to insulate yourself with injuries. Like if you have good field goal percentage, good free throw percentage, then you lose Jaden McDaniels because he punches a wall. Like you can at least – if that were to happen, um, then you can say that like you won't take a huge hit. Whereas if you lose somebody in the same range, like a, like a Christian Wood or like a Yusuf Nurkic in the same range, where you're like clearly punting threes and free throw, but free throw, um, that's just that's a much bigger uh, drop off from that to your replacement player in terms of the categories you care about. But when it comes to drafting. Um, I'm almost always trying to stay like 22 to 27 ish. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm almost like in startup drafts. I'm almost never taking a rookie as one of my top, like six ish players, depending on league size, like in a 30 team, I'm going to have a starting lineup of guys that I know contribute right now before I even consider taking prospects. Like, and then in the later rounds, you're going to get guys like Brooke Lopez in the two twenties, like I did in one of these startups. And then you're going to be, you're going to be killing it. And then, uh, you know, you got guys like Boyan Bogdanovich later in the two hundreds. So like you can, you can find value with the vets late and everybody's trying to reach for all the young fellas. And so you get guys in the middle of their prime, like a uh, guy's like, Zach Levine, I don't like Zach Levine very much, but he just slides yeah. so much in dynasty startups relative to his productions. But um, in the, in the smaller leagues, when you know, like, okay, if I make this pick, I have like 16 until I'm back up rather than 60, like in a 30 yeah. team, you can be a bit more aggressive going after your guys. And I definitely uh, have a lot of fun rostering my guys. So I definitely am a huge proponent of that. Yeah. The, uh, the dynasty 30 was my first, I guess my only dynasty startup 30 team just kind of was given it my best, but yeah. Uh, Cause in my 12 team league I have with, you know, friends from college, I enacted the strongest tank possible. I mean, with my startup, <laughs> with my startup, I don't think it was too outrageous, but I pretty quickly made a lot of trades. Some good, some looking back were very, very bad um, to acquire as many picks as possible and just get a bunch of young guys. Super fun, worked out well. Thirty team, I'll let you know uh, because obviously. You have Robert Williams from me now. I traded away Benedict Matherin as well, uh, which I think not, you have I know, as well now. I, was say, I now <laughs> roster him, but you did not trade him to me right off the yeah. bat. So I got a bunch of extra firsts that will probably be – actually, I think they are really late first, but hopefully it was enough to help me get an early lottery pick. But, yeah, the, with the Dynasty 30, um, I was looking at your roster earlier. I believe you made the playoffs. I didn't see – how far did you end up making it? Uh, I won the first round and then lost the second, I think, to Jason. Um, I need to double check that because I don't actually know for sure exactly how how far I made it. It's, I just did a I just did pun intended today talking about how far I made it, and now I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> but I know that I was like 13th in the regular season. I think I ended up eighth uh, as far as like where you lose in the bracket, but. Um, Jason's team is ridiculous, and I'm I had three minutes of Matherin, one game of Robert Williams out of four, and then one game or two games out of two games of Booker out of three. 
So I had absolutely no chance. Absolutely none when I, uh, I was so short on games played. Yeah, I'm looking at his team. He's got Dane, Brandon Ingram, Chris Stapps. And I, just, I don't even need to mention anybody else. He had those three in a 30 team. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. it uh, First season didn't go as super well for me, but it kind of went the way I wanted it. I think I have the fourth best odds at Wemby. Um, yes. One, two, yeah. three, four. And then yeah. some late picks from other people, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I remember when you, you put out the call for, you said that, uh, your guys were available looking for picks. Yeah. I was actually driving at the time <laughs> and we were, I was driving with my wife and my three kids at the time. I wasn't like doing everything while I was driving, but I told her, right. I was like, Hey, like I, I'm going to need you to get into fan tracks and follow my instructions very clearly because I am not going to miss out on this. <laughs> and she was so, she was so annoyed because I was being very specific and I was like, okay, the 23 hit the plus the 25 <laughs> hit the plus and then find R dot Williams and hit the plus and then hit submit. That is okay. One, I'm so glad you weren't just trying to do all this while driving with your whole family. But <laughs> I think that's so awesome because that sounds exactly like something I would do. Just like making my wife like, "Hey, can you just like okay, click this button, this button, make the trade?" I think that's that's so awesome. I'm glad that I was able to take part in that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. How, that's about as invested as my wife has been in in fantasy so far. Uh, other than all the times taking care of the house and the kids and all that while I do my podcast <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. Well, apologize to her for me because she was annoyed. I, I didn't want to be a part of her being annoyed, but it was. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I got the deal done. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's get into some actual dynasty content today. We're going to talk about Charlotte, Portland, and Rhett's own Indiana Pacers. But we'll we'll save the best for last. We'll we'll start with Charlotte because I feel like there's probably only like a handful of guys worth talking about. Um. But we'll start with. I guess kind of how they did this season. They have the fourth best odds in the lottery. So actually for the dynasty 30, I kind of hope they win the lottery because then that'd be my third, but yeah, they went 27 and 55. We're basically locked into the fourth spot for the past, like the last few weeks of the season, which made them play Theo Maladon and Svi, my bunch of other people. I don't know how to pronounce their names. um, The last few weeks of the season, which was fun for silly season, but for Dynasty, they only have a handful of guys, namely LaMelo Ball, who's kind of a lost season for him, spent over half of it injured, but I think still widely considered one of the best Dynasty assets. Red, if you were doing a startup draft today that included rookies, uh, how early would you take LaMelo? I think LaMelo is still pretty firmly a top three dynasty asset. I think he's still third for me. Um, He is just the counting stats he's been able to put up in a role that I think is sustainable regardless of what team he's on because he does play so fast. He's an aggressive rebounder. Obviously, he's going to get a ton of assists, and he plays passing lanes very well. His field goal percentage is not great, but his free throw percentage is up, and his threes are also up. And so – those are kind of those were kind of the question marks we had coming into his NBA career, but now that he's doing that stuff, like young guards who can get like twenty seven and seven with a steal and a half at twenty one and a half years old, I will I will go ahead and take that. Yeah, 
Okay, so you said top three. Yep. I'm just curious. What are your top three then? I need to know. Uh, I think it's Jokic, Doncic, and Lamelo. I think those are my three. All right, so I was probably going to wait till later to ask this, but now I need to ask now that we're talking Go about this. Wemby. I know it probably depends. You know, there's a difference between them going to Houston versus yeah. San Antonio versus Utah, but just generally yeah. speaking, drafting the player, how early are you taking him? I think he's he he probably should go at like four, honestly. Okay. Like it's I I do such a hard time. I have such a hard time with uh with with drafting rookies and knowing how to value them because. I almost never get them because other people overvalue them. Like I, the last three years in all of my dynasty leagues, I have not made a first round pick. I have traded all of them and they've all been fantastic trades. I just traded 1.5 or the fifth best odds for Terry Rozier, J- Jabari Smith, uh, a 23 and a 24 late first. Like, yes, I will go ahead and take that and I'm going to be good next year. So yes, give me, give me the third best prospect from this year and yeah. Terry Rozier on top of late first. And then there was another one, uh, seventh best odds. I traded for OG Ananobi, Dare, or, uh, DeLon Wright and Aaron Gordon, which got me the championship in my 12 team league. So like, it, that's not like a great trade on the, on the front end, but, uh, it, but you it worked won. out. It worked out. Yeah. And another one I got. Pascal Siakam, Malcolm Brogdon, which I turned into Anthony Davis. And so it's just like I've had such good success with people just <laughs> blowing blowing their minds or blowing their assets on these on these unknown mystery box picks that I don't I don't know how to properly value these rookies because I almost never have a shot at them. Yeah, I'm the I'm the sucker that trades away everything good uh <laughs> for picks. So yeah, I'm I'm the one who makes the bad trades. So no, you don't know they're bad yet because they have you haven't gotten any of <laughs> your picks. Looking back, looking back. Okay, fair, back. <laughs> fair, fair. I was just trying to help. That's all. No, I, I appreciate the uh, the positive reinforcement. I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable and say they were bad trades, but because they made my team bad, I guess it in turn helped me get good players. And anyways, that's that's the beauty of dynasty. You can either win or just say that you were bad enough to help your team next year you can't ever really have a bad season so yeah exactly as long as you accomplish what you (laughs) wanted to accomplish i think that's the bar that everybody gets measured by which uh shout out washington wizards for being (laughs) uh, routinely mediocre and that's exactly where they want to be yeah they're i don't know why they don't either they need to blow it up at this point but um, staying on Charlotte, Mark Williams was able to finally be kind of unleashed after they traded away Plumley. Had a great run for a nice little portion of games before they kind of started messing with the rotations a little bit, not playing them nearly as much down the stretch. Assuming they don't end up with Victor Wembanyama, he should start at center next season. Where, like, how do you kind of see that working out with him as the starter? Uh, playing alongside a healthy Hornets team that adds in another lottery pick, maybe another free agent or something to play alongside like Lamelo, Rogier, Ubre. How, if the Hornets are, I guess, more competitive than they were this season, how do you see Mark Williams doing in that system? Yeah, I mean, Steve Clifford, if he's still the coach there, he demands defensive, like, competency from all of his players or you're just not going to play. And I think that's hard to do for a young big, but he kind of came in and did it like for a team that was bad. He, he did a lot of really, really good things. 
Um, and as far as Wimbanyama goes, and th- this entire year in general, honestly, I am not worried about Mark Williams's role at all. I actually bumped him up. He was one of the, the biggest risers of this last iteration of my dynasty rankings because if they get Wimbanyama, they're going to play him at the four because Mark Williams has the heft that they can that they can just throw around at the bigs and that's their draft one of their draft picks from last year so like you're going to just going to put them together and see what happens and get do some data gathering but uh like as far as fantasy value goes obviously his field goal percentage is going to be elite you're not going to get any threes and your free throw percentage is going to be rough but the boards are there the blocks are there i i think we saw him pass at duke a little bit but It'll just be really, really interesting to see how he plays with LaMelo and how many shots there are for this team. Because if if Oubre is gone and they do something with Terry, like that's 40 shots that just opened up just about. And so, and so there's, there's going to be a chance that that's some, there's some uh, volume to go around, not to mention that the idea of LaMelo feeding Mark Williams, some very easy baskets in a way that we've seen bigs like Deandre Ayton, like, I think Aiton's obviously a lot better, but just walked in and just is getting bucket after bucket after bucket just by being open and being massive. And Mark Williams has those down. Yeah. And then with the other center there in Nick Richards, we saw him see a little bit down the stretch, probably as a starting over Mark Williams. I guess he's probably able to make more of an impact in a 30 team dynasty league. Is he a guy like, how do you kind of value him and his situation there? Yeah, I think him extending in Charlotte is a good deal for next year. Uh, be, just because, like I said, they're, they're going to play their guys. And if Charlotte likes him enough to extend him, then that, you know, that it could be worse. Um, he's had, he had a decent run earlier this year. I know a lot of people were psyched about him and was thinking he might be the center of the future, which made no sense when they drafted the center of the future (laughs) earlier that season. But, you know, he is a guy in a 30 team league. That's just going to come in do his job, not really hurt you anywhere other than threes and, you know, him being on a bad team like Charlotte, with a with a young big ahead of him, there's a chance that there's some foul trouble. And so a guy like Nick Richards could actually end up being a pretty good contributor for a deep league. But I don't know if I would be going out of my way to roster him if my league didn't have like 200 something players in it. Because I just don't see him being like a long term rotation, like firmly in the rotation big as much as like a 15 to 20 ish minute, depending on injuries sort of big. Yeah, and then of course the caveat of Victor Wembanyama, of course, just derails yes. probably <laughs> any minutes because they probably start at the four and just have this incredible young twin towers for fifteen years. But if they're taking Williams off the floor, slide Wemby to the five, just because you can have this seven four stretch five that can dribble, you might as well use them there. So yeah, just put them wherever; it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and then one more Charlotte player, Terry Rozier, barely finished inside the top 100 in nine cat formats last season. Um, after finishing, according to Basketball Monster, 30th the year before and 38th the year before that, his shooting percentage was awful. If I remember correctly, it was kind of okay when he was playing with LaMelo and then just atrocious when he was playing without LaMelo. Is he a guy that could? be a bounce pack candidate next season, assuming that LaMelo's back playing alongside him. 
I think he will bounce back in some capacity, but I also would be kind of surprised if he's still on the Hornets. So there's, I don't think he's going to be that bad from the field again. Um, I, I don't imagine he's going to ever be a positive, but I think uh, 41% from the field on 19 shots a game is just a bit, is a bit, uh, a bit much for him. But I, Obviously, like like we said with Mark Williams and with everybody, honestly, Lamelo just makes everybody's life easier. But the Hornets are going in a direction which they might end up with a guy like uh, what's a it's a good option, a Brandon Miller. And then all of a sudden, are you really going to have Terry Rozier out there to take his 19 shots a game? No, you're not. Are you going to have him out there for his 16 shots a game? Still, probably no. <laughs> uh, and and with the the chance that I don't know, I don't know how much wait to put into this, but the chance that Michael Jordan sells the team, if a new owner comes in, like is Gordon Hayward going to be on the team? Terry Rozier? Like, I don't yeah. know. So I would be, I know I just bought Terry Rozier in a 30 team league. So I'm kind of doing what I'm telling uh, other people <laughs> not to do, but I don't know if I would be buying Terry Rozier too much other than the fact that I think his field goal percentage just will go up. And we know it's kind of difficult to get guys that can get 19, four and four with over a steal and a huge bucket of threes. Yeah. And then, you know, you have his 19 shots. And like you mentioned before, you have Kelly Oubre's 17 shots. So are they really wanting these guys taking all the shots when you have potentially, I mean, another, I think the worst they can pick is eight, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Something like that. So one of those guys coming in, potentially like a Brandon Miller, like you said, you're probably going to want to look to get LaMelo and Brandon Miller. Far more shots, but yeah, we'll see how the lottery goes for them to see kind of who they can add. And hopefully after getting embarrassed in the play-in back-to-back seasons and then picking fourth, maybe they can – it'll probably be like a little bit of a longer rebuild, but – It is so Charlotte for them to have locked up the fourth best odds, like with 15, 20 games to go. Like they didn't even, <laughs> they weren't even trying to be that bad. They just ended up that bad, but we're still good enough to not actually be able to creep into the top three. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And yeah. And then they'll slip, they'll get pick seven, take somebody that's going to end up being a bust. And then poor LaMelo is going to ask out mm, two seasons, two seasons. Oh, I, I've been saying that his, the ink won't even dry on his contact contract extension. <laughs> <laughs> like he'll just he'll just be writing in cursive Lamelo Ball. Also, I want out. Like it'll just be under the, <laughs> the contract in one 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 sentence, one one unbreakable line. It'll be awesome. That that would be absolutely <laughs> legendary. Um, but if we can move to Portland, because they're so fun to talk about, and I think earlier today when we're recording this, Damian Lillard said in an exit interview that he's not interested in a in a two to three year rebuild, he's not interested in adding another lottery pick. And I think they said that if they don't get the first pick that they're going to be shopping it. I don't know if that's speculation or them saying that, um, but you got, you know, they have the fifth best odds to pick Webinyama. And then they have Dame, they have Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, Nurkic, and I guess they have Thibel, Cam Reddish, Shaden Sharp, a couple other guys that really didn't pan out with their previous teams that are kind of getting a shot at redemption. Really it's Dame. So 
don't know. Do you think that uh, Dane runs it back with Portland? They run it back with this kind of similar group, maybe make another trade, to try and bring in somebody competitive. What do you think? I just, if you look at this team on paper, it should have been so much better than what it was. And like, I know, like I'm looking at it right now. So Grant missed 20 games. Okay. Actually, let me, let me pause there. They missed 20 games, but that's because they sat out for the last 10 that Portland sat them out for. So they missed 10 games, 10 games of Grant, 10 games of Simon, about 12 to 15 games of Dame and then Nurk missing 30 slash 20 that you can pretty much just count on. I don't know how you play those guys that many, and they're all playing 35 minutes a game. At least the, the, the three studs are, how are you that bad? But I don't know. I don't see what Portland can do with the assets that they have, that they will want to move. Like, I don't think they're going to move Shaden Sharp. I don't think they can get a player with enough of an upside and contractual like control to trade Shaden Sharp and make it worth it after what we've seen from him this last couple of weeks. Like, I doubt they would trade Shaden Sharp for Jalen Brown. And I don't know if I would do that either if I was them. Hmm. Like if he makes if he makes all NBA and you can extend him, that's a very different conversation. But right now, if he's heading into unrestricted free agency in the summer of 2024, that's a huge piece to send for a guy in Jalen who would fill a need for them and make them obviously way better. But the contractual stuff is just so sketchy. And so you're just kind of looking at it and you want to talk about a deal that was bad immediately is Yusuf Nurkic. They have him for three more years and he just can't stay healthy. So what are you doing? Like, is he a, is he a positive value on his contract? Probably not. So are you attaching assets to get rid of him? Okay. Then what are you doing to replace that? I don't, it just, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I believe they have a pick to Chicago that is protected until 2028. And so they can't even trade a bunch of future picks because they owe rolling protections for the next five years. And so it's just, it's a bunch of stuff that just doesn't make sense to me with Portland. And in that vein, like I, I can see Dame wanting out, but at the same time, I don't, He's going to get his no matter what. No matter where he is, he's going to be Dame Lillard. So I'm not too worried about that. But I don't really – like, where does Dame go? What does this What does this team do? Where do they go? What's a realistic trade package for Damian Lillard? Like, and does Portland got, want a bunch of picks? Do they want to do yeah. like kind of like what the Nets did, get a couple players back? It's. I, I mean, you kind of have to decide right now, right? Because Jeremy Grant, also a free agent right now. So, like, if he walks, you're – kind of just toast. Like if he's gone because he didn't sign an extension, you're kind of just toast. But Dane's got, I think four years, $212 million left on his contract up to age 36, 37 season. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know about all of that. <laughs> that's, that's a very hefty contract. I think, I mean, they really should have blown it up two years ago. I love, like, I think everybody is past the point of like respecting Dame's loyalty in a generation of stars that have no problem asking out, signing elsewhere, you know, guys like Dame and Bradley Beal. It was two or three years ago. It was like, man, like this is kind of like what NBA players need to do. Like, yeah, they're so loyal. Now it's like, okay, buddy, like we get it. You're loyal. Like we kind of feel bad. Like, why don't you go compete somewhere else? Like these, what did your team do to reward that loyalty besides give you just a mediocre supporting cast? A, competent starting five and 
not really much depth. I mean, on paper, Portland has a good starting five. But yes. like you said, can't didn't really stay healthy. And I think they have a little bit more depth now than they did before. But it's, I mean. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, Sharp stepping up is good. Obviously, Thibel is going to be good. Reddish gave them decent minutes. But, like, they had Josh Hart. They don't have Josh Hart anymore. And that was. They got five seconds. Yes, yes, and and reddish. So uh, you know, reddish. all those all those seconds are going to be super valuable when they go to get who I don't know. Um, but yeah, so they do they do have some depth. They have some interesting players. Like I really like Jabari Walker. Um, he's a guy that I was excited about in the draft, and he went kind of late. But it seems like uh, it seems like they'll they'll at least use him a little bit. But other than that, like I just don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't know what this team does. And it's, it's so hard to project anything about them because you kind of just have to look at what they already have and bank on that being it other than this pick that they likely end up selecting. Cause I don't know what they're going to get with it. Do you package it with the five seconds? And I don't know, you don't really have much of a trade package there, but uh, Anthony Simons is a guy that I really like as a scorer. He finished just outside the top 109 cat leagues. He obviously doesn't provide much defensively, doesn't really grab a ton of rebounds. I think he steps up whenever Dame's out, and he's a a young player that has like a good future in the league as a 20-point-per-game scorer. Um, Is he a guy that they could move? Is he a guy that could stick around if Damian Lillard gets traded? I think that they've kind of been at a standstill for a couple seasons now trying to retool to stay competitive, but – I don't know. What do you think about Simon's future? I guess just kind of assuming just Portland stays where they are and just keeps trying to use their can-do attitude. Yeah. So I, uh, I, a couple of guys in some of my leagues are, uh, are Portland fans. And so I'm, I talk to them quite a bit and they are extremely high on Simon's. Um, I remember when he signed his extension for like $25 million a year, he's like, Oh, that'll be a steal in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, but Without Damian Lillard this year, I believe Anthony Simons played at like a top 30 level for nine cat because it was just insane threes. I think it was 26 points, five assists, only like three rebounds, but four and a half threes on 46% from the field, 94 from the line. And that's just, you're just pouring in buckets. I don't think he'll be in a situation where he should garner that many shots because like I guess 20 shots a game isn't that crazy in this in this NBA, but I he does have more of a ceiling than what I think Portland allows because there are guys like Jeremy Grant and Damian Lillard, which obviously command a lot of shots too. So it comes down to sharing the ball. But I think Simons does have a bit more than what he's shown. But again, are they moving Simons? I don't know. Like, what are what are you gonna do that drastically changes the team enough that doesn't involve one of these big salaries that would end up having a similar role on whatever team they go to? Yeah, and I don't know if this is just my mentality on everything, whether it's fantasy leagues or two K. I'm them. I'm blowing everything up, and I'm trading away literally everybody. But maybe that's just <laughs> my mentality that I need to kind of check a little bit. Maybe they can. That's too late. Okay, now you already started. And- <laughs> That's true. I mean, listen, they've been trying to retool. For, like they made the conference finals, and then yeah, 
tried to retool a couple. That's one of the worst ago. things that can happen to a team. And I actually wrote about that, about the Pacers and how they should look back before looking forward and like crawl, walk, run because the Hawks making the Eastern conference finals before they were ready and deciding not to do anything screwed them yeah. over the Knicks thinking they were good despite overachieving. Like if you overachieve, that means you're did a lot better than what people thought. So like you should probably factor that into the equation. Portland making the Western conference finals is a very similar thing where it was just the chips falling just right. You're, you're not actually a Western conference finals team and they acted like they were. And now here they are. Yeah, that definitely hits home with the Hawks making that yeah, conference finals run, which was, so much fun in the next season, just getting destroyed by the heat. Yeah. It wasn't as much fun. So it's okay. Now we'll get destroyed by Milwaukee in the first round this year. All right. That's assuming you make it there. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just kind of already uh, in my mind. Milwaukee, are, so that they'd have I, to win the second game. Okay. I, I can't be that negative about um, – <laughs> I'm. oh, yeah, I'm assuming we're losing in Miami. I'm hoping yeah. that we beat Toronto slash Chicago. I think we can do that. Yeah. So, in yeah. my mind, it's if we're lucky five games and we're out against Milwaukee. I already, <laughs> I'm mentally prepared, um, but we'll move on to talk about your Pacers who have the – I think right now they're tied with Washington for the seventh best odds. I believe that will be some sort of quick yeah. flip to yeah. figure that out. But they 35 and 47, were a playoff team. Like I think at least would have been in the play-in had Tyrese Halliburton stayed healthy. Um, but that's a fantasy super superstar right there. Um, how did you think Albert, I mean, he finished eighth according to basketball monster. Did you see him being that good this year? Um, I saw him being excellent and obviously that level of assist was just going to be floating his value to a, an insane degree anyways, but I did not see him being a 20 point per game scorer. I actually said before the year that I would not be surprised if Matherin or Duarte would score 20 points a game for a season before Halliburton would, because I just did not see that self-creation. He shot off the dribble. Like he was creating for himself in a way that I don't think like I was trying to temper expectations, uh, but I also just didn't see it with him this early, but goodness gracious, that was uh, to be able to score 21 points a game on 49% from the field and 87% from the line. Ten and a half assists for two and a half turnovers. That is fantasy gold right there. Absolutely insane. Yeah. And how old is he? Like 21? He is, is he 22, I believe. 22. Uh, let me see. Yeah, he's, he just turned 23. Okay. So, yeah. Incredibly young. Face of the franchise. Yeah. Adding in another lottery pick. Um, I guess I'll ask the same question. How early would you take him in a dynasty startup? I have him five right now. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I have uh, right now my top five goes Jokic, Luca, LaMelo, Tatum, Halliburton, and then SGA Edwards right after that. So that's seven. Okay. And that obviously doesn't include the current rookies because Wimbenyama is not in there. But um, right. I just think with Halliburton, he doesn't rely on, like, obviously he gets 1.6 steals, but that's like reasonable. Right. Like that's not a crazy number. Um, so it's not like he, he's getting like a DeJounte Murray where you're getting like 1.8 steals and just floating your value into an insane degree. So I think that that is extremely sustainable and also leaves room for growth in a way that 
is very exciting moving forward, especially when he's only quote unquote, only playing 33 and a half minutes a game. So there's even some, some, some boosts that can come from that. Once the Pacers start being good, which will likely, I shouldn't say be good. They will try to be good next year. Uh, but once they actually get good, whether that's next year or the following, um, I can imagine him closer to 36 minutes and even bumping these numbers up a little bit. And that 1.6 steals per game, I think was actually, so OG Ananobi, 1.9, and then DeLon Wright, Jimmy Butler, Fred Van Vliet, 1.8, and then SGA, Melton, Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, Gary Trent, and Herb Jones, 1.6. So it was, yes. I mean, it's, I know it's been higher in the past, but that was among the league leaders. And then obviously, three threes, 2010, yes. efficient, fantasy king, fantasy yep. king. Without a doubt. Shout out Zach Hinshu who took him at like six in a in a just a regular, like a redraft league. I gave him a lot of flack for it, but uh he he was right because I believe in totals. Uh Halliburton, well, I guess the end of the year didn't didn't help there. He was ninth for totals as well. So that's not a crazy pick. Yeah, he may have taken him as early as three. I wouldn't have been surprised at all. I don't know if he wrote a whole column, three thousand oh, yeah. words about how much sure he loved Tyrese Halliburton. I was like, <laughs> Man, I thought I was biased towards my guys, but I respect. He had so me much. as a Pacers fan be like, "Yo, you need to calm down." Like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> when you got the homers thinking that you're yeah, a little like, bit too aggressive, I don't know. <laughs> um, but with other Pacers guys, obviously Halliburton's the best fantasy asset. But uh, Miles Turner, top twenty season. Um, I, I guess he was twenty five the year before, or thirteen the year before that. Um, is he sticking around in Indiana? I mean, he's been on the trade block for like his entire career. Yeah, I think he is at least for the next two years. Um, obviously he, the, uh, renegotiate and extend gave him a $17 million raise this year and then extended for two more years on top of that descending. So I think you can say for sure next year he will be here. And then the following year, it'll depend on how good the team is because he'll be entering unrestricted free agency again, which is the exact same situation that the Pacers were in this year is why he was on the trade block so much for uh, Russell Westbrook and some picks because it's like, you can't let him walk for nothing. And so um, I think miles, he loves being in Indiana. He is, he's honestly pretty great with Halliburton. I think he really showed a lot on the role this year. That is really impressive. And his defensive presence back there for a team that has atrocious point of attack defense defenders is extremely helpful. So I think that it's, uh, it's almost, I don't want to say a lock, but it's very, very likely that he's uh, a pacer all of next year with the same exact role. Nobody's coming for his minutes as they try to be good. And then the following year, I imagine that as the Pacers continue to grow, they'll still be trying to be pretty good. And miles is going to be a huge part of that. So I don't see any change in his role in the next couple of years. So him sticking around potentially either adding, if they're lucky Wemby, which I know would probably be really exciting for you, but either maybe even like a guy like Jairus Walker, uh, somebody yep. else, another big, do we even still hold on? Ty Isaiah Jackson, or is that pretty much in like Jalen Smith? Oh, like, how are we feeling about them? I think you hold Isaiah Jackson because he, the, the stat set is just there. The field goal percentage is going to be elite. This 
the blocks are going to be elite. The steals are going to be good. The re- like he's going to be a positive contributor in probably six categories. He just had an exit interview today where he's talking about working on his jump shot, his free throws, and his ball handling, which is great because that means he could potentially be more of a four than just a pure five that can't actually guard fives because he doesn't weigh enough. So heading into his third year, I I was really excited about Isaiah Jackson this year, but I'm, I'm still holding him because what like – the worst case scenario is he stays on the Pacers and continues to get about 18 minutes a game. And then, then he keeps doing what he's doing and he's still very young and has some upside. And then he goes into restricted free agency. Worst case, or like uh, another scenario is they trade him. He trade him as an asset to another team. And best case, they trade Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson's just the primary back of five getting 20 minutes a game. And then there you go. He, there's your fantasy asset. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Jalen Smith is a hard one because he, they opened the year calling him the starting four, which was just ridiculous for me. It was like, that was, that was one of the conditions for him to resign in Indy. I'm, I'm fairly confident of that. Not, I don't know anything, but it's just like yeah. looking at it as like, mm, pretty sure that's, that's part of it. And then obviously the season went a different direction. So, uh, but I think Jalen Smith is showing enough to show that like, yeah, he's a, he's an NBA player at the very least he can be a backup big. So, uh, both guys probably holding and just hoping that the roadblock, the ever-present roadblock of Indiana Pacers big man gets cleared up sooner rather than later. At some point, but who knows? Maybe they'll just add another one in the draft and just keep making us wait. But, um, yeah. With uh, So, like, Buddy Heald, wrong side of 30 now, just finished 48 in 9-cat per game value. Um, at least his best season – in a while. So last few years, is he the, I mean, the other guy that's been consistently on the trade block, is he sticking around to be a backcourt mate for Tyrese Halliburton for at least the next few years? No, I don't think so. Um, the, the Pacers have a glaring hole at the four and they only have so many salaries to trade out. And if they really want to see what Benedict Mather and Andrew Nimhard and Tyrese Halliburton can do together, not to mention whoever they end up drafting, there's only so many shots to go around. There's only so many minutes to go around, which they've already struggled with, with the rotation this year, because they had so many guards slash like 2.5s. Like you, you kind of had to play Buddy Heald at the three. You kind of had to play Chris Duarte at the three. You kind of ha- like Aaron Neesmith was fine as a three, and you had to play him at the four because yeah. you didn't have any fours and you had a ton of twos and threes. So that's just kind of how that worked. And so I, I would be, I would put it as more likely than not that Buddy Heald is not on the Indiana Pacers for opening night, and definitely not on the Pacers after the trade deadline in uh, February of 2024. I don't know who for. I don't know what that's going to look like. It seems like the Pacers are thriving with the optionality is the buzzword, uh, the optionality that they have mm-hmm. moving into this offseason. And I think uh, it's going to be a big one because the the Halliburton extension doesn't kick in yet. So you have a ton of financial flex. They haven't signed it yet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a max in a couple of months. Yeah, probably. Uh, there's a good chance. So the Halliburton extension will kick in next year and that's when the team's going to get expensive. And so you've got one shot this summer to nail your draft pick, make some moves and set yourself up for the next couple of years. And I don't see Buddy Hill being part of that. And whatever team he ends up on, probably not going to see the same shot volume, probably going to end up on more of a contending team where he may even be in some sort of six man role or just some sort of probably third scoring option at best. So he's probably not going to repeat as a fourth round value anytime soon. 
Yeah, I think he's definitely going to be like inside the top 100 just because he's he gets enough threes up that mm-hmm. it's just it's going to be a positive and he just has the ball so he gets some assists and he plays a decent amount of minutes and he gets a steal. So I I don't see his value getting cratered if he goes somewhere else, but it definitely will not be in the top 50. Mm-hmm. All right, and then Benedict Matherin. I think I am pretty much on record for every single like shot creating shooting guard saying that they're going to be Bradley Beal. Um, how good is he going to be? Because I mean, just sticking with my comparison that I did for Jalen Green and now I've done for Matherin, um, Beal averaged 32 seasons and was like late first, early second round value during those two seasons. Is Matherin, assuming just sticking in? kind of like that two or three role with Indiana alongside Halliburton, alongside Miles Turner for a couple of seasons. How good can he get even if, and then I guess even further down the road when he's probably like five years down the road, is he going to be able to reach that point of being perennial all-star, all-star starter, 30 points per game? Like how lofty should my expectations be? I think it really depends on how he develops his passing this summer and into next year. Um, because his passing was his was pretty bad. I, I don't know. I haven't been able to tell if it was roll, if they were like, hey, buckets, nothing else. Go <laughs> go score. Figure out your game at the NBA level as a scorer. You know Halliburton's going to be dealing with the ball as, as a starter, so you just go figure out how you score, and we'll figure everything else out later. But he had more turnovers than assists per game this year, which is obviously not what you want to see. But he also had a 47.7, like a 4.77 free throw rate, which is top 15 in the entire NBA this year. And I think only Luca, Zion, Embiid, Paolo, and Blake Griffin had free throw late, rates like that as rookies, hmm. which is just yeah. an absurd group Good. to be a part of. Yeah, like I'm not saying he's going to be up there because obviously he doesn't have the defensive stats for a couple of those or just the insane volume passing for a couple others, but he the way he attacks the rim is just unlike anything we've seen from a rookie in a very long time, other than Paolo, who also did that this year, who was also top 15. <laughs> um, but Matherin's expectations for me, I can see him being like a – sort of like a what would a Zach Levine look like but with slightly mm-hmm. worse passing like what is what does that look like you know what I mean because Levine's getting he's what, like 22 five and five something like that or 25 five and five I guess yeah. I can see Matherin being up in that range um he's I, he didn't shoot super great from three but I imagine as strong and as physical as he is drawing, drawing uh, fouls, he's just going to continue getting stronger as increases finishing. He's going to be more comfortable attacking the rim. That's more free throw volume. He shot 83% this year. I think he's going to be a good fantasy player and he's, he got 0.6 steals in 28.5 minutes. I think that came from a lot of inattentiveness on defense as an off ball defender. And he talked about that exit interview, and it was something that all all of us Pacers people were looking at. I was like, dude, he is atrocious as an off ball defender. Like he's pretty good <laughs> on ball. Like he's he's so competitive that he takes that matchup very seriously when he's in when he's in it. But he's like, oh hey, look, back cut done. Like yeah. not even he's just like both feet planted, didn't even see it coming, and the guy's in there for a dunk. So I think as that increases, obviously you you play more minutes, you get some different defensive assignments. He prides himself in. uh in being competitive. And so I imagine he's going to develop that, but 
you start paying attention more off ball, you're going to get a steal. Like the, the list of players who don't end up with like around a steal playing 32 to 35 minutes a game is very small. And I just see that Matherin has the tools to do that. I think it'll just be a matter of his passing going up to another level to be something more than just a high volume scorer that kind of relies on efficiency from the field to that's going to fluctuate his fantasy value a ton. If he can't figure out the, the auxiliary stats like assists and steals and blocks. So he's averaging 25, five and five. Halliburton's averaging 20 and 10. We add in Victor Wembanyama. We still keep miles Turner. How quickly am I buying finals tickets for the Pacers? Oh, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be looking up the odds to see what the Pacers futures are on the, on the finals (laughs) next year already. I don't know if they're posted, (laughs) but I'm just going to reach out to, DraftKings or something to figure out a way to get in there. But no, I, I, yeah, it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting to see how Matherin fits in more with Halliburton because he, his usage when Halliburton was on the floor was not great. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it'll be, I think Matherin's very much a rhythm player. And so I think it's going to take some getting used to playing alongside a guy that is as ball dominant as Halliburton, even though he is creating so many shots. I think Matherin really likes to be in the flow of his offense. And so uh, being able to have the ball in his hands and make decisions quicker, not relying on just dribbling into his moves would, would be huge for him next year. Yeah. So that's, Three teams that we've talked about for Dynasty. That's going to do it for those three teams. Before we go, Rhett, you talked earlier about starting the Punt Intended podcast and just kind of reaching out to Dan, getting involved with Sports Ethos. Um, as a kind of Dynasty content creator, but really just like a content creator in the fantasy space, what advice would you give to people that would be interested in just kind of, I guess, starting to create content? Uh, start creating content, like (laughs) just start doing it and putting stuff out there. Because once you start doing that, people like me and people like you and people like everybody else in in the fantasy space, but especially dynasty space, we're going to see it. It's dynasty is not a very big community and there are very few people, uh, creating dynasty, which is why sports ethos was so psyched when I wanted to do it. Like, wait, people want to do that. Yes. Yes, People want to do that. And they actually want to consume it as well. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, just start doing it. And I think obviously finding how you watch the game and presenting that in a way that's different than everybody else is going to be important, but that also requires that you watch the games because that's one thing that I feel like a lot of dynasty people can get too focused on is like, Oh my gosh, his per 36 is insane. It's like, yeah, but he doesn't play 36 minutes because he's not actually good at basketball. Like, yeah, Christian Wood is not an elite dynasty asset. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's not, he's not, he's not actually good. None of his teams want to keep him when it comes time to make that decision. So, you know, like Hmm. there's, if there's five teams that don't want him, so there's a reason he was coming off the bench in Dallas. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Could be. What do, what do I know? I just watch the games and see him get roasted on defense all the time. So, yeah, it's it's just <laughs> finding, finding a way to put your spin on what you're seeing and kind of trying to find that balance between like, okay, here's what the stats are telling me. Because obviously 9Cat, you're looking at very few very few things that contribute to winning, but here's what the film is telling me. And that's why I felt optimistic buying a guy like Benedict Matherin, despite his nine cat being very unfriendly right now. And why I felt really good moving a guy like D'Lo to make it happen because obviously a career year for D'Lo. And it's like, D'Lo's not good. 
He's not actually a good basketball player that like contributes to winning teams. Obviously, playing next to LeBron and AD might change that, but yeah, it's just stuff like that. Or it's like I, I just have strong opinions on guys that I watch. I'm like, man, they do a lot of really dumb stuff, and mm-hmm. I don't imagine that's going to go super great. So, yeah, just uh, just get just start doing it and reach out to me. I'll I'll take a look at everything if you want any sort of feedback or just to post repost it anywhere. I'd love to do that. Yeah, whether it's dynasty basketball, whether it's just one-year leagues, whether it's fantasy football, whether it's fantasy Premier League, Rhett will retweet it. He'll give you his opinion on fantasy Premier League. I wouldn't necessarily trust it. I don't know. Should we trust your opinion on fantasy Premier League? If you, if you ask me a question, I'm going to put some research into trying to figure it out. So I'll at least have like a quick Google result to give you there some you sort go. of feedback. <laughs> there we go. I'll be parroting um, what somebody else says, but at least it's <laughs> Something a good. screenshot from somebody else's post, but exactly. you will get a response. Um, and if you create any work, Brett said he'll retweet it. He'll share it. Um, you know, find him on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer, or just follow the punt intended podcast. Uh, do you have anything coming up that we should be looking out for? Uh, yeah, I've got a, an episode of pun intended coming out, reviewing all seven of my dynasty leagues this year. Uh, I had nine. I dropped two of them. Uh, so it was way too many. So I'm reviewing yeah, no, I, I did in in all seven of my dynasty leagues, my best and worst trades from all of those leagues. So I'm I had I had a lot of fun doing it. So I hope that people will listen to that. And then I got some pacer stuff coming out as well. Uh, I've got I'm working on what they should want at the power forward spot, whether through the draft or through other transactions. And then I am on locked on pacers. Uh, uh, a couple times looking at just what the Pacers offseason might look like. So just check out all my stuff on Twitter. Sweet. Well, I'll definitely be checking that out. Rhett, thanks for hopping on and talking with about the Hornets and Blazers a little bit and then talking Pacers with me. It was a lot of fun. Of course. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode two of the Take Me Later podcast. 